In my defense, it's the only dance move I know. And so, how are you? Good. Long time to see. You look healthy. That's good. That's good. Like what you've done with the place. Well done. My wife is trying to figure out how to get me out of the house so she can kind of pull off the same thing in our house when I'm not there, because evidently I was the one holding up all the work here. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so hey, take your Bibles. That, that's going to make me way more comfortable. Let's go to Luke 17, and we'll get there in a minute, um, or 20. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I hope I remember how to do this. Because uh, uh, my wife and I were talking um, just last week, and I had been like, well, I haven't had a ministry sabbatical for 21 years, but as we talked, what we found out was actually, in fact, um, it has been 30 years of teaching or preaching weekly since I was 17 years old. Um, and to walk away from it for 11 or 12 weeks it can mess with your insecurity issues just a wee bit. Um, God has taught me much. Um, I don't want to bore you with the details and tell you all the story. I'm gonna, I'm, I will share over the next three weeks just some things that God has taught me um, as I've met with my counselors, as I've met with other men and women in ministry around the country, as I have poured into Scripture, as I have sat and done the hard work of doing nothing. That is hard. Um, I didn't succeed really well at that one. Um, but I'm going to share some of those things. It was a crazy, crazy summer. A lot of traveling. Got lots of points in Southwest now, so I'm going to take some free trips soon. And then, um, as amazing as it all was for 12 weeks, it got ridiculously good last weekend. Because last weekend, I met this little one And I came back really old, because now I'm a stinking grandfather. Yeah! <laughs> um, Arden Joy was born to our oldest son, Jordan, his wife, Grace. Uh, they're doing well, as well as can be expected. First-time parents are hilarious. My wife was instructed how to hold Arden the first time we went to the hospital. She was good. She didn't say anything until about an hour later, and she reminded him, the reason you're standing here is because I know how to do this. <laughs> we have to wash and sanitize our hands a hundred times before we hold the baby, but that's okay. We know that any other babies, they don't care. So there's a joy that comes in, and then the, the grandfather thing hasn't settled in for me, so I'll just be real honest with you, because, oh, this is going to get me in trouble. Um, newborns are ugly. <laughs> Amen? Come on, let's be honest. Okay, yes, newborns are ugly. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, I'm watching mom back there with her newborn like, oh, yeah? Huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, they've got great personalities. Let's go with that. Uh, no, they, actually, they don't. That's what bothers me is they're just not really reactive, and that's not me, man. You give me two or three-month-olds and up, oh, yeah. Now's my time to shine. I can get a reaction out of that kid, so I'm waiting for that. However, what makes, obviously... Arden is precious to us, and, and I've held her probably more than I've held any of my other kids at this age, which is funny. Um, seeing my son and his wife just overwhelmed with joy and, and trusting in Christ 
through this whole process has been amazing. But there is something unique when there's a little person who is born and can make your wife smile like that. Right? And so that, that right there, I mean, I don't know who the goofy-looking dude next to her is, but that, that right there is it. And that, that is one of the greatest gifts I was given on sabbatical. And so I want to thank the elders. I want to thank you. Uh, I need to thank our staff, and I'll do that in a moment. But, I, but, but what it did for me is it gave me an opportunity to rest, to relax, to recharge, to be um, really worked over hard by a counselor. He was not nice. I'll tell you that right now. So I'm like, I pay you. Aren't you supposed to say nice things to me? But evidently not. Um, uh, really just, and so, so I'm coming back as spiritually energized and emotionally recharged and physically rested as I have ever been, which is terrifying because this means this is as good as it gets. <laughs> but in that time, what I was able to do was reflect on some things that matter most. And that right there is one of them. And so I praise God. So thank you. I want to thank the elders for making it a priority and chasing me out of here. Uh, holding me accountable not only through it, uh, but they uh, promised to hold me accountable afterwards. So thank you. Now, uh, I, before I left, I was really clear, this is not just a sabbatical for me, it's a sabbatical for you as well. It gives you an opportunity to no longer hear Charlie Brown's teacher, which I can become, I know that, after I'm here. Wah, 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 wah. And you're like, here he goes again. It's the same thing over and over. But by bringing other people in to share and to preach from other backgrounds, other passions, other abilities, other uh, technicalities, other focuses, other perspectives, it really does um, work in your favor in your walk with Jesus Christ. And so my plan this morning was <laughs> was originally to ask you right now, like, so what did you learn over the last 12 weeks and have you texted in? And I was just going to react to them. But I thought, you know what, just in case nobody reacts during the service, I want to get a few ahead of time. And so I put something out in the email and social media and I thought, I'll just use those to start and then have you text them. Yeah, no, we will be here until next Christmas because 150 of you sent things to me already. Um, I started off by responding to almost all of them. And I'm like, uh-uh, I can't keep up with all of them. So what I have done is I kind of went through all 150-ish of them and categorized them and grouped them in likeness. And so you may not see your specific one up there. I have not put names, so you're okay. Um, you may not see your specific one up there, but but it kind of fit in with some other ones. And, and I just want to share a few things um, that you've shared with me and, and kind of kind of show you something, how, how God works really cool. How, how he does things. He's like, he's developed this in you, and then look, here. The first one I think I'd, uh, I want to do is this. The church is the people. All of them. This is something one of you learned. I knew this, but I saw it in action this summer, summer during your absence, and I thanked God many times. Yes. There are so many of you to be thanked. By me not being here, while we were talking this week uh, with Mark, and by me not being here, what it did is it, <laughs> uh, okay, we have a joke. I think it's true. He's the brains, and I'm the mouth. He's the brawn, and I'm the beauty. <laughs> and so what happened was the beauty stepped away for a little while, and, and, and Mark led ridiculously well over the last months, didn't he? So you were served really well through that. Our staff, our elders stepped up and did things that I normally do, and I'm thankful they did it, and I'm hoping they keep doing it. That would be awesome. The, the, the project that's out, just uh, innumerable hours, but we are thankful and grateful that this is, this is the reality. And here's my fear about today, too. I don't want you to leave here today with thinking about, well, Frank's back. Frank's back. 
Frankly, if you say my name more than the name of Jesus, I have failed you as a pastor and I should leave now. Right? So I'm going to get there because I've been saving up for 12 weeks. You may not be going home anytime soon. This is not about any individual. This is not about any person. I learned as I traveled that we have the best church staff ever. I have the best elder team that surrounds me ever. I stood back there this morning and was like, man, our worship is better than any other church that I went to this summer. And I went to some Mahonkin ones who pay people a lot of money to play guitar. <laughs> Well done. I think that was Aaron. Yep, it had to be Aaron. I see you. <laughs> so we, we are ridiculously gifted and blessed. And really, um, if I had anything to do over for my sabbatical, and whenever if God allows me to take another one, I will do it a little differently, is uh, um, I lost my family for 12 weeks. Now, I ran into some of you in some weird places, like the Las Vegas airport. That was strange. I ran into one family. We were all traveling that way and coming through the Vegas airport, and I was sitting in the hallway trying to charge my phone and get some food. And I looked up, I'm like, is that the McGee's? <laughs> Good thing I wasn't gambling at the time. <laughs> nor were they, just want to protect them, nor were they. Um, but I lost my family for that time. And, and that I want to do that differently if I do that again. I love you guys. I don't just say that because I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to say that. Say because I do, I love you guys. So that was, that's the first one and that took way too long. So I need to hustle. Here's a bunch. I have so much to be thankful for, things I never, that I had, had, that I'd even, at one point, there we go, been afraid I would never have, I now have. It's good to reflect, and it's good to be thankful. That is something that God has taught me as well over the time. My life is filled with the good gifts of God, and unfortunately what I do is I tend to squirrel away little moments here and there to try to enjoy them, and what God has taught me is I am supposed to take significant time to remember the goodness of God in my life. And not to just reflect on the goodness, but then to allow that reflection to roll up into worship of him. Here's some other ones. God's teaching me to trust his sovereignty. These are all grouped together because they're very similar. I've learned that God has a plan no matter what. He sees the whole picture that I don't see. God is on his throne and will be no matter what I see or what I hear. I can totally rely on him and his strength. Things happen in God's timing, not in ours. When I don't even have the words, I can rely on the spirit to pray for outcomes that align with God's will. God has given us his word so we will have peace, wisdom, and reassurance that he has got this. Uh, in a day and age where it feels like everything is upside down. Where quite honestly the public, um, I don't know what the right way to say this is, but the, the sense is that we should be freaking out. The reality is we don't have to because God's in control. We freak out when we look at things through our own lens instead of looking at it through his. God is in control. We have nothing to fear. Let me keep going here. Through a season of sickness in our family, the Beatitudes take on a very deep and more severe meaning. I'm, I've never felt the spirit like I have in this valley, and it's been a great blessing. God really has been teaching me that my struggles haven't been for nothing, and looking back, I see him at every turn. His presence is so visible, I shake my head at not seeing it. The Christian life isn't all ups. There's a lot of downs, hurts, disappointments, but God is never surprised. God's given me the gift to be able to enjoy today, even when I feel like I can no longer stand the frustrations today brings, and I just want to give up. 
So for the last few years, God has been working in my heart and challenging my view of mourning and lamenting. And, and I think what happens in church is we don't talk about sorrow very well. We like to jump right to, uh, count your many blessings. The, the, the modern understanding of the Christian message is, uh, so my puppy just got run over, my car doesn't work, and I lost my job, but God's so good, and I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And that's bogus. You know, a third of the Psalms are mourning and lament. Many of them don't actually close the loop to come back to the moment of joy. They end in sorrow. We need a better understanding of how to live in this in-between stage, because that's where we are. What lament is, is the honest cry of a hurting person who's wrestling with this tension between the, 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 the pain and the promise of God's goodness. And so in October, we'll be walking through Lamentations together. I know you're like, oh, that'll be exciting. It will. (laughs) Let me keep going. He's been telling me to take my next step and take my relationship with him more serious. The importance of being intentional with your relationship with the Lord. Even the good can take the place of the best if we let it. That's That one struck me in the eyes. Say yes to Jesus and no to everything that is not Jesus. I need to be walking faithfully in the little things. I need to be bold in my childlike faith. I need to be sure I know who I am in Christ so I can point others to him. When I'm acting as the hands and feet of Christ, that's when I feel the closest to God and the most like the person who I was designed to be. Yes. And we're going to challenge you in the next coming weeks in September about taking steps that you have not taken yet as a follower of Jesus Christ because it seems to be a little scary. We're going to call you to take risks for Jesus Christ. Not foolish risks like running out in traffic, but opening your mouth to that non-believing coworker and stepping out in faith and understanding what that really is. All right, one more here, and then we'll launch into this. I have seen over and over again, talking about the summer, how Jesus does the unexpected. He called us to rethink and reconsider everything we think we know in an attempt to reignite our love for and rekindle our wonder in God. I want to use that kind of as a stepping point into Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11 particularly. Um, What I've learned this summer in particular is that that God doesn't want my stuff. He wants my heart. And he's so jealous for me that he is going to keep chasing me down so that I will give him my heart. I'm so incredibly quick to be enamored with, with what he's given me. Like the kid at Christmas, right? You spend all this time worrying and fretting and spending the money and searching for the perfect toy, and you give it to your child, and they open it up, and they're like, this is amazing, and they ignore you for the rest of the week. We do that with God. I forget that what God is doing for me is all being done so that I might be in awe of and enamored with him and make it known that that's the case. Let me read the story to you, Luke 17, starting in verse 11. While traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, they raised their voices, and they said, Jesus, Master, have have mercy on us. 
When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. While they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus said, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he told him, get up, go on your way. Your faith has saved you. So here, Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, and you know the the gist of the story. A couple chapters ago in the book of Luke, Jesus begins his journey to Jerusalem where he is going to become the sacrifice for sinners. He's going to be accused by the Pharisees, by the, 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 the high priests, by by all of the religious establishment as they continue to attack him, as they continue to, to go after him. And so he's heading to Jerusalem, knowing that's in his future. It says that he is somewhere between Samaria and Galilee. It doesn't give us an exact location, but you and I know that anytime Samaria or a Samaritan is mentioned, there was huge tension between them and the Jews. So much so, and I had never seen this before, uh, make a little note, if you go back to Luke chapter 9, um, James and John are going into a Samaritan village and, and, and preparing the way for Jesus to come. And as James and John are talking to the Samaritans, the Samaritans are like, we, we don't want him here. No, he can't come here. We do not want this Jesus in our village. And James and John get so angry and upset, they're like, hey, Jesus, should we firebomb the village? Should we pray that God would, would throw down fire from heaven and consume them? And Jesus is like, of course not. What is wrong with you? I mean, that's what I imagine he did anyway. But my imagination did not dull on my sabbatical what happens if you have a lot of conversations with yourself. <laughs> so here he is walking through this land, and, and, and then there's these people who are introduced as he's entering the village, ten lepers. The leprosy was a, a horrible disease to have. And the, the, the way it kind of worked is that the first sign of having leprosy, you would have to go to the, the, the priests. Now, the priests were somewhat like a, a health inspector of the day. And so they would show themselves to the priest at the first sign of leprosy, and the priest would investigate, and they would, they would look at them, and they would examine them, and if they saw that, in fact, it was leprosy, the priest would then declare this person unclean. And while, while the disease was bad, the emotion of the disease was worse. Because at that moment you're declared unclean, you can't go home and kiss your wife goodbye. You can't hug your children for the last time. At the moment you are declared unclean, you are to be outside of the city, maintaining a distance away from all people, tearing your clothes, covering your face, and making it clear when anybody even thought of coming near you, you would yell to them, unclean, stay away for your own protection. Don't come anywhere near me. I have been declared unclean. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. You're no longer able to work. You're no longer able to go to temple or to synagogue. You're no longer able to worship. You could have any other disease and still maintain your family relationships. But at the moment the priest looked at you and said, leprosy, you're unclean, you lost everything. No physician could heal them. No medicine could help them. They were completely and utterly helpless. And, and here you have a band of ten lepers. It seems that the, when you get the disease, it's almost like our, our communities that are experiencing homelessness, right? 
They tend to band together. It removes all social and ethnic and financial and religious distinctions. Now they're just working with each other because they're experiencing the same thing. And so they're trying to support each other. And here are these ten. They stand at a distance because they can't go in the village because they're unclean. So they stand at a distance and they yell. They yell at the top of their lungs. The word is uh, uh, phallus, which is your voice. And megalus, which is a great one. You put those together and you get a megatholus, a megaphone. So here he is, they're screaming and they're yelling and they're trying to get Jesus' attention. And there's a chance leprosy can affect your vocal cords, but it didn't matter. There was no laryngitis that was going to keep them from getting Jesus' attention as he walked in, right? And they beg for mercy. Master, show us mercy. Is their only hope? Is their only chance? Um, at that moment, their lives were still upside down. They had no family relationships. They couldn't fix themselves. No one could fix them, but everybody seemed to be talking about this Jesus. And we don't know how they heard about Jesus. We don't know what led them to call him master. We have, we have absolutely no understanding other than this. Back in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is approached by a man who has leprosy. And Jesus reaches out and with great compassion touches him and heals him. So, so perhaps within the leper community, there was conversations about this man, Jesus, who was able to heal leprosy. We're not exactly sure, but, but what they had to be thinking was, Who cares? Maybe, just maybe, he'll show us mercy. Maybe he'll help us. Maybe he'll bring me healing. So they stand at the distance, screaming at the top of their lungs to try to be heard over the crowds that are thronging Jesus. And it says that Jesus saw them. When he looked at them, there there was a, a mercy, a power, an ability, an authority that is unlike any other. And he gives them this answer. Yeah. Go to the priests. All right, now, some of you have been in church a long time. Some of you are new to church. Glad you're here. You don't expect Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to exercise his power and dominion in such a relatively small way. Right? If there's going to be this massive healing, man, you want thunder. You want lightning. You want the crowds to be like, ooh, ah. Instead, Jesus almost nonchalantly says, go to the priests. Well, why did they have to go to the priests? Well, again, the priests being the the, the health inspectors of the day had a prescribed, not treatment, but a prescribed act that was laid out for them in Leviticus 13 and 14. And Leviticus 13 and 14 tells us that if somebody is healed of leprosy, they are to go to the priest. And what the priest is supposed to do is at first give an offering of two birds. Then for the next seven days, the priests are supposed to do an intense investigation into the background of this person who is coming to them claiming that they have been healed of leprosy. First, they need to confirm that they were, in fact, a leper to begin with. Secondly, they need to confirm the fact that they were actually healed of leprosy. And third, they need to look into the circumstances around the healing. And after seven days, the priests have done all of that and come to the conclusion that, yes, this person was a leper, yes, he has been healed, and the circumstances seem to align with those things and are proper, then on the eighth day, there's a whole list of offerings that need to be made. 
This grand ceremony occurs. And at the conclusion of it, they anoint the now non-leper with oil. And he's allowed to go home. He's allowed to go home. So Jesus says, go see the priests. I love the way that this just undersells it. While they were going, they were cleansed. So as they choose to obey, and I don't know what the thought process in their minds was, but it had to be like, well, why not? And they start walking. This is, as they are going, they're cleansed. As they are walking, maybe the arm that was really infected suddenly clears up. The leg that is in great pain suddenly doesn't hurt anymore. They were cleansed. The Greek word there is katharizo, which means nothing was left. From top to bottom, the entire system was cleansed of leprosy. So, so for a moment, imagine, all ten are outside the village like, Jesus have mercy! And they catch his eye and he's like, yeah, go to the priest. It's oh, hoping for something magical, like some mud. Remember Jesus spit in the mud, rubbed it in the blind guy's eyes? That'd be cool. Maybe, maybe he'd come over and give me that magic touch and it would just all disappear. But instead he said, go to the priest. Let's go, guys. I am imagining that though the first few steps may have been slow and downtrodden, that it quickly turned into a sprint filled with laughter. What is It's gone! It's gone! You're gone! I'm gone! And they take off and they start running for the priest. And he tells us here, but there is one. A contrastive conjunction. That is the most awkward word for any pastor to use and emphasize in any sermon. But, because what you need to say is, that's a big but, little awkward, that's a really important, you can't, it's really weird. But that word is in Scripture and so many times to help twist everything. So all of a sudden you're caught off guard. Nine are going. So what Luke is doing is, hey, don't pay attention to the power of Jesus right this second. What I want you to pay attention to is this one. Because here he comes. He runs back to the feet of Jesus and he loudly gives glory to God. And he's a Samaritan. Face down. Thank you, Jesus. God is so good. The Father has blessed me through you. Look what you have done for me. Forget the priests. Forget the offerings. Forget the ceremony. For now, forget my family. Forget my worship. Forget my community. Forget the temple. Forget the synagogue. I am coming to you to thank you for your unthinkable mercy, your unthinkable kindness. And Jesus says, shouldn't there be another nine? So, so there's a couple of different applications I want to make. Logically, you could just jump right in this without context. Say, what we need to learn from this text is we need to be a grateful people. And that is absolutely true. So I'm not minimizing that. You and I have no excuse for not being a thankful people. You and I should have a gratitude that is unmatched by the world. How grateful are you? for what Jesus has done for you. So that's a logical 
application. There's a theological application that I want to make sure you don't miss. The lepers went to the priests originally, and the priests were the ones as representatives of the law who declared them unclean. When you go to the law, you are not going to find a catharsis for your soul. You're not going to find freedom and redemption when you go to the law. Instead, what you are going to find when you go to the law is a condemnation that you are unclean. When they made their way to go back to the priest, when Jesus said, go to the priest, they weren't going because the priests could heal them of their disease. The law cannot heal you of your uncleanness. The law cannot fix your sinfulness. The law continues to highlight it and point it out so that you are ever aware of the fact that your righteousness is like filthy rags. No, when they go to the priest, what ends up happening is the priests just like the law, begin the investigation and they end up at the feet of Jesus and realize, oh, that is the righteousness of Christ in you. You are now clean. And that's what you and I have through the work of Jesus Christ. So, logically, theologically, and because it's me, just to throw this one in there, comically, you can't miss the humor in this. As Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, right? Who's fighting against him? The Pharisees, the priests, all the religious leaders, right? And what they're saying is, how dare he claim to be the son of God? He's not the son of God. He's not the Messiah. Who, how dare he claim the name of the Messiah? And what he says is, hey, I want you to go, go to the priest. And so when they go to the priest, what has to happen over the next eight days is those priests have to investigate the background of all ten of these men. And you know where it's going to lead them? Look, Jesus healed them. Oh, by the way, healing the leper is what the rabbis of the time called a messianic miracle. The only one that could do that was the true Messiah. That's why when John the Baptist said, are you the one, Jesus, or am I looking for another as he sits in prison? Jesus responds by saying, go back to John and let him know that the lame begin to leap, the the blind begin to see, the leper has been cleansed. Because then John would know this is the one. Isn't that kind of funny? Just go, go check out the priest. Don't, don't make sure you're clean. Personally speaking, there were nine people who ran as fast as they could to the priests and were incredibly excited about what was about to come their way. And they should be. Right? I'm not demeaning that. They absolutely should be. But when the gospel becomes about what instead of about who, we're in trouble. When the gospel becomes about what instead of about who, then what we develop is a culture of Sunday morning Christianity that doesn't align with anything we see in Scripture. When being consumed and in awe of the what you get because of Jesus, which is a lot. Let's not, let's not blow that aside. We do need to be thankful for that. Think about that. We, we end up having the opportunity to know that we have a hope in the middle of difficult times. We know that we have a family that's going to come around us during difficult times. We have a fellowship that is sweet and unique, unlike any other. We have so many different things that he's given us. But, but when it becomes about what instead of who, stagnancy, arrogance, deconstructionism, apathy, discontent, laziness, and a muted passion. 
develop in us. Instead of praising God with a loud voice as we fix our eyes on who he is and how he's loved us. You know who Jesus is? Jesus is the one whose heel has crushed the serpent's head. Jesus is the one who is the only acceptable sacrifice, having spilled his blood for our sin. Jesus is, in fact, a Noah's Ark in which we can all hide during the judgment of God that will certainly fall down on those who do not believe in him. Jesus is David. Jesus is the one who conquered the greatest enemy while we stood on the sidelines. Jesus is the anointed king. He's the great high priest. Jesus is the voice in the wilderness who speaks calmly, reminding us that it's he who, in fact, is in charge. Jesus is the one who is our safety in the fiery furnace. Jesus is the one who covers the shame of the adulterer. He's the one who rescues the leper. Jesus is the lion. Jesus is the lamb. He's the one who was slain for our sins before the very foundations of the world. Why are you worshiping him so quietly? There is none other. Fix your eyes on Christ. When you are in awe of Jesus Christ, you aren't just going to tiptoe to him. Uh, I'm going to try this. We'll see what happens. You saw how I dance. But I'm going to tell you that when you fix your eyes on Christ, you need to dance. The problem, though, becomes when I say to you, fix your eyes on Christ and dance, you're like, Okay. And then you dance like me. Right? You dance like in the Looney Tunes, but it's like, you got to get your feet out of the way. See, that's the problem, though. That's most believers. I was instructed to love Jesus. Because if I don't, I'm going to get shot. No, 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 no. You fix your eyes on Jesus. You dance like you're at a ball. The music completely overtakes you. And you have lost yourself in the moment because this is him. There is no other. This is the one who, for a single time, for all of eternity, laid down his life and gave the sacrifice that was needed for your sin and for mine. Why are you worshiping so quietly? Oh, you want us to sing loud? Yes. Yes. But I want you to live louder. Would you? Father, thank you. Oh, God, thank you for my family. Thank you for this beautiful group of people who have gathered together, who love you and bless your name. Now, God, I pray as we close our time together, as we do sing, that we would sing loudly, not because we want to show off, not because we just feel guilty, but because we understand that as the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world laid down his life for our sins, that we have hope and we have been rescued and he is ours. God, may we worship you in our day in and day out life. May we live a life that is marked by awe of who you are. Jesus, I pray that even now, as we walk out of this place, that we would live differently, not because we've been guilted into it, but because we want to put a smile on your face. May we be like that leper and loudly, loudly give glory to God. Father, it's in Jesus' wonderful and precious name I pray. Amen.